All right, so happy Easter once again. Uh, glad to be here with you all this morning. If you are visiting, we do have several visitors here. I'm Jimmy. I'm the minister here. Uh, we uh, are so thankful that you've decided to worship with us this morning on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, together with a family of believers this morning. And um, unfortunately, you know, uh, we've been going through a six-week series, but it's a good day to be here, okay? I promise that we're going to tie it up today. Six questions leading up to Easter about Jesus, right? This is the reason why we gather here today. We recognize that Easter is not about Easter egg hunts or bunnies or chocolate or candy or whatever it might be for you. It's about Jesus, right? Amen? Amen. So last week, or just to recap, I'll go through you. We've been asking questions. Who, what, where, when, why? Okay, last week we talked about why did Jesus come to earth? And we decided together, collectively, well, I told you guys, but collectively uh, we decided that it's really important that we emphasize that Jesus came to earth first and foremost because he loved us. Amen? Right. It is important to recognize that Jesus came to earth to deal with the problem of evil. Yes, that had to be dealt with. Yes, Jesus did come to earth to die for my sins so that I could go to heaven. But when we emphasize those things, remember we talked about making Jesus the object of our salvation, our golden ticket to get to heaven. That's not what he's about. Right. Jesus was about love from day one. All the way today, you know, Resurrection Day, even before that, and especially after that. Jesus came to earth because of love. So today I'm thankful again to be here on Resurrection Sunday, and I think it's a great time of reflection, okay, to reflect on what Jesus has done for us, to reflect on his love, to reflect on his life, and I hope to touch on that today. But I'm not going to waste any time, okay? The question for today is how does Jesus bring us salvation? We're not going to wait till the end of the sermon to get to this. Okay, this is very important that we're all on the same page, right? Jesus, let's read this together. Jesus brings salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection. That is it, right? That is completely and totally it. Okay, I love the way that Paul says this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians 15. This might be a good thing for you to reflect on later today. If you've got a pen, maybe underline this because this is significant, okay? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Talk about a guy who would probably never want to hear you say that, right? Paul's saying my preaching is useless, but he's saying this is important, okay? Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. In fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That is some strong words, some venom from Paul as he talks about the importance of the resurrection. This is a man who has spent his entire life before meeting Christ persecuting the church because his faith is so zealous, right? He has this interaction with Christ to where he is literally blinded by Christ and his life can no longer be the same. And in reflection of that, he's put so much emphasis on the resurrection, so much emphasis on this being the you know, cornerstone of his faith that he says, your faith is futile unless 
the resurrection is truth. And this morning, we celebrate today because we do believe that it is truth. We believe that this actually happened. And because of that, our faith is not futile, right? Amen to that. Please say amen to that. Our faith is not futile. Our faith is meant to be encapsulated, defined by this act of resurrection. Everything leads to this. And we talked about all these six weeks, right? The second thing we talked about was what did he do on earth, right? He preached, teached, and healed. All of that teaching with authority, all of that miraculous healing, it becomes so much more significant with the resurrection because everything that he preached with authority is truth because he was able to overcome death itself, right? We talked about Jesus being the capital M Messiah, one greater than David. You know why he's greater than David? Because even though he died, he didn't stay there right? He didn't stay in the tomb. He was able to rise from the dead. That's why he is so great. And thousands of years later, we had the disciples this morning in the, in the teen class, we read it at the end of John, where that, that, that period of time where the disciples were unsure what's going on, right? Where Peter's saying, I'm going to go fishing, and they're not aware of what Jesus has done. And in that time, you can feel the tension, And you can feel the tension around, I'm sure, the surrounding areas, the other disciples, the people that interacted with Jesus. And they're asking themselves the question, okay, where did Jesus, what's this deal with Jesus? He had all these teachings. He had all these things that he said, this truth that he said. What do I have to think about it now? And when they experience the resurrection, they have to stop and consider, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to dismiss him entirely? because there's no in-between, right? With the resurrection, you have to either say, you know what, I am going to follow a resurrected Savior, or I'm going to hear the message and dismiss it. Thousands of years ago, those people were asking that same question. Today, we are asking that same question. We have the resurrection. Are we going to choose to follow Jesus in light of that? Or are we going to choose to dismiss the word completely? What are we going to do? Do I believe in the power of the resurrection? And not only do I believe in the power of resurrection, do I believe it has anything to do with me? Because there might be people out here today watching online. We have people watching on Facebook who are hearing these words and they understand right up here the idea of the resurrection. But they say it doesn't really matter to me because I've gone too far away. There's nothing that Jesus could do that could possibly save me. No matter what resurrection happened thousands of years ago has nothing to do with me. To those people, I want to tell you you're wrong. I want to tell you the resurrection still has power, still is truth, not only to those people then, but very significant to you and I today, 2022, April 17th. The resurrection's power is still here and it is for you. You are not too far away. Let's read from Romans chapter 5. Please read this. Don't read it out loud, but read this along with me, okay? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Still to this day, that's still true. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his power, excuse me, demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for that. That is very important. Okay, read that last part where it says while. Read that with me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're asking the question, 
am I too far away? Or you're making the assertion that I am too far away. You have to read Romans chapter 5 because the resurrection is for you. And it will always be for you. While we were still sinners, while I, Jimmy Divine, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That is significant. The power of the resurrection is still true today at just the right time. And if you don't believe me, I think there's two reasons why you ought to. Okay, Jesus gives us an example. The first thing, we're going to be in Hebrews if you want to go over and turn there. That we talked about Jesus being the capital M Messiah, the Messiah. Jesus is also the great high priest. If you read through Hebrews, you'll see this theme come up over and over again, this idea of the high priest. We don't really understand that in our, in our society today. We don't have this kind of title. But Jesus shows us how he is the great uh, high priest. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look at this together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we, prof we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And when, I, when you hear this word high priest, you might not be familiar with it. So just a brief, brief, brief summary, okay? If you read through the Old Testament, the high priest was this person who would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple where God's presence was on the Day of Atonement. Jimmy, what's the Day of Atonement, okay? It's the time when the Israelites would all celebrate and there would be a bunch of sacrifices and the high priest would actually go into the Holy of Holies. He'd have to do a bunch of different rituals. He, he would do uh, sacrifices himself. He would do some blood stuff. It's kind of weird for us to talk about today, but that's how they would cleanse the temple and they would have these sacrifices and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies into the presence of God and he was the only one who could go there, Okay. And he would be having the sacrifice, the ceremonial sacrifice for himself and the entire nation of Israel. That's a lot of pressure. Okay, I wouldn't want to do that. It's a lot of stuff he has to do. But that's what the, whole, the high priest would do. But we are talking about Jesus as the great high priest. Okay, there's a difference there. Let's read a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 8. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. We just talked about that, right? sacrificing for the entire nation of Israel. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, talking about Jesus. For there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. Do you hear what the writer of Hebrews is saying? There were high priests that served a purpose, right? You with me? Nod your head if you're with me, please. Okay, thank you, Ray. He gave me a good head nod. Okay. There were high priests and they served a purpose. They had these little, uh, what does it say here? They had the sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. But what does it say about Jesus? Jesus has received a superior 
covenant. He as a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. What we're reading about here is this covenant that we're in right now, right? This resurrection, this superior, the before the temple was a shadow of a copy of a thing that was to come and we are living it today. This new covenant that Jesus brings us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the great high priest because he is superior to the old. Are you with me? He is superior. And he is not going to offer sacrifices for just the people of Israel, right? He's offering sacrifices to a bunch of Gentiles that are sitting in this room right now. Okay, thousands of years later, this great high priest is able to make sacrifices for you and me still today. He is the perfect sacrifice, the sacrificer and the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 2 says it like this. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Okay, the great high priest not only makes the perfect sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are in the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This is talking to us, right? The one who makes people holy, Jesus, and the ones who are made holy, us. We're in the same family because he's the great high priest. Are you with me? He is the great high priest, the perfect mediator. He makes all things holy. And when we are sitting here saying, okay, God, is this resurrection for me? Is it for me? I'm too far away from you. I don't even go to church anymore. I don't have a faith. I don't pray anymore. Is the resurrection still for me? You've got to read Hebrews chapter 2 and says, guess what? I am the one who makes people holy. And you are the one I am making holy. And we are in the same family. Yes, you are good enough. Because I make you good enough. Not because of what you do, but because of what I do through you. Jesus is the perfect mediator, the great high priest. But there is more. Okay? So that was the first thing. He is the great high priest. But before I get to the second thing, I want you to think about somebody in your own life. Okay? So I want you to think of a teacher or coach or youth minister, or whatever, okay, who made a big impact on your life. I want you to have that person's face in your mind. And now I want to talk about Monty Williams, okay? I don't talk about basketball every Sunday, but I'm going to this morning. Monty Williams is amazing. He is the head coach of the Phoenix Suns, okay? And he has a great faith story. He has a great legacy of faith. He went to Notre Dame. You might recognize him from playing college basketball. He was a great college basketball player. And he spent a little bit of time in the NBA. 11 seasons, did not make an all-star game. Wasn't a spectacular standout, but he played 11 seasons in the NBA. That's pretty good, okay? But what's special about Monty is that while he was at Notre Dame, he was going for a physical, and they found that he had a heart defect, which for someone of his stature, this huge basketball player, this, this standout at Notre Dame, that's a problem. The doctor said, you'll never be allowed to play basketball again. And he was shook by that news. And he was crying, and, and luckily his, his girlfriend at the time, later to be his wife, said, the only person who can heal you is God. And so, like Rick was talking this morning, the, the power of prayer worked through Rick. I think it worked through Monty Williams as well. 
And he was later eventually able to play basketball again. And like I said, he didn't have a spectacular career in the NBA, but what other players and other coaches would say about Monty is that he's kind of like a glue guy. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy said that when Monty was on the court, he always played with a chip on his shoulder, which means he was pretty aggressive, but he was always respectful, which is hard to have those two things at the same time, right? A lot of times you have the guys who have a chip on their shoulder who have a chip on their shoulder everywhere. Monty wasn't that guy. And the reason why is I think that he recognized when he couldn't play that basketball was an idol to him. That he, is, he had replaced God's like, you know, love in his life for basketball. And when that was taken away, he realized, oh, there's more to life than just putting a ball through a hoop. And that's why he was such a good teammate. And that's why he's such a good coach. Now, I have a clip here that I want the volume up so we can hear. You don't have to know anything about basketball. I promise you to appreciate this clip, okay? This is in the middle of the NBA Finals. He's talking to DeAndre Ayton, their star center, young, young guy. And this is what he has to say. Listen with this. Oh, guys, right here. This, this, this is the deal. One, we're getting back in transition. You don't have Giannis find a man and be a guard. Two, look at me. You set a high level for yourself. That's why you're down. That's great. Now go reach that level. Okay? And you can reach it with force. Doesn't have to be stats all the time. Go dominate the game with force. Okay? Because you set a high level for yourself. Go dominate the game with force. Let's go. It's very important, okay? I, I took a, a screenshot of this moment right here. In the middle of the NBA Finals, he's guarding the MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo, and his head was down previous to this, and then Coach Monty Williams says, look at me. And then all of a sudden, this 20-year-old kid making way more money than him, you saw when he stood up, Monty has to look at him like this. He says, look at me. And then he preached to him their game plan. And not only their game plan, but he said, you set high goals for yourself. Go meet your goals. And there was that understanding between player and coach to say, I think so highly of you, and I think you can achieve what you want to achieve. That's important in a player and a coach relationship. And I'm sure the person that you have in your mind, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, but whoever it was, they would look at you as a person and not just a player. As a person, not just a student. Right? Someone that says, you have goals for yourself, and I deeply believe that you can achieve those goals. Now, it, it doesn't always work out that when players in the NBA become coaches that they're successful. Okay? A lot of times, players, they try, it doesn't work. And I'm sure for Monty, he got a lot of respect just out of the gate when he became a head coach because other players recognize, okay, he understands the game. He's one of us. But a lot of them flame out. The reason why Monty stuck around and the reason why he took the Phoenix Suns, which were the worst team in the NBA four seasons ago, to the NBA Finals is because of this. Because he's able to look at the person as a person and journey with them as a person, as a brother. They're on the same page. He's not just looking to put a ring on his finger for a championship. He's wanting to elevate this young man and to be, to be a greater man. He sees the potential. He's walked in his shoes. He knows exactly what he can achieve, and he wants to see him achieve it. So I talked about Jesus being the great high priest. Jesus isn't just a coach or a teacher, but he's someone who wants to journey alongside of us and be with us along the road. You with me? We've talked for six weeks, and I wanted to stretch out this Easter for six weeks intentionally to get this point across, that Jesus is not a salvation robot. 
Okay, God could have easily sent a fully formed Jesus, a 30-year-old person, down to this earth. He could have ministered for three years. He could have ministered for three minutes as the Son of God. He could have come down here, saved our souls, gone back to heaven. I'm out of here. But it's not, that's not what Jesus did, right? Jesus came on this road, and he got his feet dirty. He got his hands dirty. He was washing feet. He was crying with his disciples. He was calling them friends, brothers. They were going through life together. The reason why it's so significant is that Jesus looks at us and sees more in us, and he makes us to be more than we ever could possibly be without him. The resurrection proves that. And like I said, he is not some salvation robot just here for one purpose to defeat evil. He's here to live life with us and be with us along the road. That's important. Jesus walks with us. Jesus is ready to be with us as we go through hard times and just live into who we're called to be. It is not always easy, but it's good to know that Jesus is having this moment with us every single day if we're willing to let him, right? Look at me. You're worth it. Look at me. I've made you holy. The one who is holy, the perfect mediator, the great high priest, the one who makes you holy is with you right now, and he proves it through the resurrection. You might not know what this means for you, because the resurrection sometimes just lives right here. Remember last week we talked about that? Sometimes Jesus just lives in here, and then he stays in our car till next Sunday. And sometimes we treat the resurrection that way too. But Jesus makes it very important to us that he is with us. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Think about that. Why on earth would God want to share humanity with us? So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. He had to defeat evil, but he had to share humanity with us as well. He's with us along this journey. I want to read this more in context here. Might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people. He had to share in our humanity. I just love the verbiage of that, because being a human is messy. But Jesus decided to share that humanity with us in order for us to be delivered from our place of slavery, uh, so we could face salvation through his resurrection together. To share humanity is a messy situation, but Jesus steps in it willingly. So the question remains, what does this mean for us? What should we do about this? What am I going to leave from here saying? Two things. We need to recognize, again, I've said this over and over again, that Jesus has made you holy. You are worth it. If you weren't worth it, then we wouldn't be having this conversation this morning, okay? Jesus makes you holy when you, when you submit to him and you are worth it. The second thing is this. We need to realize that the door is open for you. 
Okay, realize the door is open for you. What does that even mean? Okay, we got to go read a little bit more scripture together. Okay, I promise I'm almost done. From, this is from Matthew chapter 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, 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 lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. I said that the door is open, okay? The great high priest, remember, would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, behind this veil and perform all these ceremonies to atone for the sins of Israel. But when Jesus is crucified, he leaves the door open for us. He's a bad high priest because he broke the rules, right? That should not be ripped open. But guess what? The great high priest leaves the door wide open for us to enter into God's presence and for us to receive God's presence. He leaves the door wide open for us so that we can enter in and be made holy through baptism in Jesus Christ, right? We talk about the baptism of Jesus where he goes into the water, he goes under, and he goes back up again. And when we enter into baptism, when we enter into those waters, we are symbolizing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and we enter into this door to receive the very presence of God into our lives. The door is open. We just got to walk through it. The great high priest left the door wide open for us. And I want to keep saying it so you don't forget it. Sometimes when you walk away from here and you say, Jimmy said that a bunch, it's on purpose, I promise. I want you to have that in your minds today. As you go from this place, the great high priest left the door wide open and you are made holy through that significant act of, of resurrection. So as we go from this place, I'm sure you have family dinners to go to, family lunches to go to. Whatever it might be, my prayer is that you think about your baptism. Think, if you haven't been baptized, think about you know, the possibility of walking through this open door. Because this morning we celebrate the resurrection, but it's not just about something that happens in this book. It's about something that happens in your life every single day. Live into the resurrection that God has called you to live and be aware that he's with you along the way. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for being the great high priest, and not only being the great high priest at a distance, but recognizing that you are on the road with us, that you look us in the eyes and you say, look at me, you are worth it. You make us holy and help us to recognize that we need to live into that life that you've called us to live. God, help us to recognize that you have been along this journey with us, even when we're not aware that you're with us, God. And help us to make others aware of your presence in their lives. God, as we go from this place, help us to be present with you more and be present with each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any needs, we'd like to give you the opportunity to make them known. Won't you please come while we stand and we sing?